0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today Podcast. Well, okay, it's Thursday, isn't it? I don't know. July the 22nd. Yeah, it's Thursday. And uh, this is our second day now. It's weird. It's like yesterday, Wednesday, it didn't quite feel like the NBA season was over because we were still in the championship afterglow. But now it's really the offseason. The afterglow is past. The Bucks will have their parade. Hopefully all outdoors. Let's uh, keep it safe. And a well-deserved one. And that's cool. But everybody else is in retooling mode. And we are in team breakdown mode. It's a little weird not to have games to talk about. Now, I know we didn't have games to talk about yesterday. But we did do kind of a finals redux. How we got to that point. What it means going forward. We don't have that to talk about right now. Next game-related thing will be probably season win totals. Luckily for us, we play fantasy sports. So we don't actually need games to happen to have things to discuss. What we do need is news, which a lot of that's coming. The draft is coming. Free agency is coming. And we're just a little bit over halfway through, breaking down all the teams in the NBA. Yesterday, we handled the Orlando Magic, the second team in our tour of the Southeastern Conference, and so we'll just continue to rumble up the coast. That's not really true. I guess Orlando's not, uh, not coastal. Central Florida. Orlando's Central Florida. We'll just continue to work our way through the Eastern Conference in no uh, particular order. I think we'll probably do the, uh, the Southeast. We'll finish up the Southeast, and then we'll move Central, and then we'll handle the Atlantic, and uh, you guys don't care. As I was saying it, I knew you guys didn't care, but I said it anyway, so peh. Uh, Next team in the Southeast Division, which, of course, is the Magic, the Heat. We've already uh, covered those two teams. Charlotte is on the docket as of yet. Uh, The Atlanta Hawks are still on the docket. And the uh, Washington Wizards, I believe, isn't that the last one here? Am I am I goofing up something? It's very possible. And then Atlantic Division is Sixers, Nets, Celtics, Raptors. What am I missing? I'm screwing something up. <laughs> I'm jumping right over a team. Sixers, Nets, Celtics. Oh, uh, Knicks. Sorry, Knicks. Sorry, I know you were actually pretty good this year. Oops. Central Division, Bucks. Should really look at a sheet while I'm doing this. Bucks, Pacers, Bulls, Cavs, Pistons. That one was easier for me for some reason. In any event, we will just work our way, I think, geographically. And so the next one would be the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks, who finished this season at 41 and 31, and by all accounts, dramatically outperformed my expectations. That was a team that I didn't expect would go over their season win total, and prior to making their coaching move, they didn't look like they were going over their season win total marker, but they switched it, and uh, it worked out great for them because uh, Nate McMillan turned everything around. They made a deep playoff run, a very impressive one, made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, toppled the mostly healthy Philadelphia 76ers, and then were felled, felled like a mighty oak by the Milwaukee Bucks. As the Hawks go, they just went ahead and committed a whole bunch of money to a handful of guys this last last offseason, but luckily for Atlanta, their most critical player, Trey Young, is still on his rookie deal. This is the last year of it, but... That also means that they have cap space right now. And by and large, this is a relatively young team. They gave a bunch of money to Danilo Gallinari. Third year of his contract, by the way, is not guaranteed. So probably you won't see Gallo next, the following season. Oh, by the way, hi. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I totally forgot. I'm nasty habit lately of not introducing the podcast. I am your host, Dan Bespris. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody, spending your off-season with us here on this show. I know many of you will start coming back after free agency, but to those that have stuck with us during the quiet times, I am most grateful. What is that? Uh, it's like, is it Wizard of Oz? And to you, I love you most of all. Bogdan Bogdanovich, by the way, is the other player I was about to talk about as a recent uh, medium Size contract signee. And we'll get back to that in just a second. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D A N B E S B R I S. Hoopball is hoop ball.com. Join the Hoopball loyalty program or just be a Hoopball loyalty member. That's probably an easier way to think about it by signing up for a premium membership over the next three weeks to lock in last year's prices for life. I'll tell you this. Be perfectly candid. As HoopBall grows, so shall the prices on things because uh, it's just getting bigger and things, tech costs more. And so as HoopBall grows, the prices are going to go up. That's just sort of the way things work and then inflation and so on and so forth. This is a terrific deal, particularly if you're into the HoopBall 360 side of things where you like more than one item from the HoopBall collection, but really for anything. The Fantasy Pass is going up, the Wager Pass is going up, Hoopball 360, of course, is going up, because that's all the stuff rolled in together. Within, if, the only thing you have to do, basically, to make this happen, is if you're already signed up, nothing. You don't have to do anything at all. Just don't cancel, and you'll keep the old price forever. But the second you cancel, then you can't get the old price back. Once the price goes up, if you're not on a plan, you can't get the old one. It doesn't matter if you had it at some point. The whole purpose of this is that if you just leave your stuff turned on, your price won't change. You won't be pushed into a higher price the way that places like Netflix are like, oh, we're going to raise your price in three months, and then they do it. We're not at hoop ball. The only way you get dinged is if you cancel and re-up, or if you just sign up after the prices go up because at that point, that's just the price and that's what you're paying for it. So, if you're going to get anything for this coming season, if you've had something before and canceled it, or if you're on a plan already, just leave it turned on. For everybody else, sign up for any Hoop Ball Premium membership between now and August 15th and keep that price for life. Dude, the Hoop Ball 360 is going to have the Brewski 150 in September this year. Yeah. Yeah, you heard that right. All right, back to the Atlanta Hawks. And I'll tell you guys, uh between now and free agency, these will probably be our shortest episodes of the year cuz lately we've been able to combine playoff analysis with team breakdown. That's been getting us into that 35-40 minute mark, but peel off the 10 minutes of playoffs and yeah, I think you got a pretty good handle on what type of show that's going to be. So budget something else for the other 10 to 15 minutes of your drive or whatever. Uh, whenever you're listening to the show. And for that, apologies. But don't worry, we'll have way too much to cover very, very soon. I was going to get a little deep into the weeds in terms of contractual stuff, but I think the main point that we all need to take away is, one, John Collins is a free agent now, restricted, I believe, uh, but he'll get a pretty significant raise and that will basically make up for the money coming off the books. Guys like Solomon Hill, $2 million. Tony Snell, $12. Sweet Lou, only $8 million. Those guys all coming off the books. Those guys made about $22 million together. John Collins was at 4 So if his contract goes up by $18 million uh, or $22, I guess, uh, it, it probably won't get as high as $26 million a year. Uh, but Collins is more or less going to wipe out whatever came off the books. The following year is when things start to get a little bit goofy because Clint Capella, Bogdan Bogdanovich are still signed in 2022, 2023. Gallo has a partially guaranteed contract that year that they might just let him out of to create more room. Not that they need room because Trey Young, they, you can go over the, the hard cap to re sign your own player, but they're going to want flexibility to do stuff around Trey Young. And then you've got all the young guys. DeAndre Hunter, he has a team option. Okongwu has two team options. Reddish will have one at that point. Chris Dunn, who the Hawks mysteriously signed to a two-year deal and didn't play this season, uh, he has a player option for $5 million this coming year. I really don't know what's going to happen with that. Main point is that Atlanta's going to have... Basically, their whole core back, pending whatever the hell happens with John Collins, and that makes them a relatively easy team to handicap from a fantasy standpoint. What you see is what you get. We saw a Hawks team that wasn't hyper-healthy. Bogdan Bogdanovich missed uh, about 30 ballgames this year. DeAndre Hunter missed most of the season, Trey Young missed nine games, Collins nine, Capella nine. That was actually relatively good numbers by all accounts. Cam Reddish missed 45 games, 46 games, excuse me, Gallo 21. And then Kevin Herter was your kind of lone health bright spot among the higher minute guys. He played 69 out of their 72 games. The Hawks were interesting because the big injuries befell their wing players in Hunter and Reddish, and Hunter was very good prior to his injury and not at all useful after coming back, that it created a false fantasy value for other wing players. Meaning Danilo Gallinari, I would argue, had a better season than he should have had DeAndre Hunter stayed healthy, had Cam Reddish stayed healthy this year. I think you could almost argue to a similar degree but in a different bracket that it also had an impact on Bogdan Bogdanovich because when he came back all of those guys were also still missing so Bogdan who didn't get off to a good start this year but played extraordinarily well when he came back from injury late in the year and had a truckload of usage going his direction probably ended up playing better on a per game basis because of the absences around him That's not to say that Bogdan wouldn't have had a useful fantasy season, even had those other guys stay healthy, but top 50 feels a bit like a stretch. On the flip side, there were guys on this Hawks team that perhaps could benefit more going forward. I think John Collins is one of them. He had a weird season trying to sort of find himself on a team that was seeing more usage out of DeAndre Hunter and a lot of usage from Bogdan Bogdanovich when he was healthy and Gallo being a part of things. And that's not to say necessarily that this happens for Collins this coming season, but the Hawks are going to have to decide whether they really want to commit to him. And presumably they will because he's worth more to them as a as a player under contract, provided it's not a bloated thing than he is just disappearing for nothing. That's almost maybe a reason to look at Collins as a guy that perhaps gets better two years or not this coming season, but the following one. But that's not what we're worried about on this show. This is a podcast. This is a redraft podcast. So we're mostly focused on what's going to happen in the immediate future. Immediate future is that Clint Capella is still the center on this team. He signed actually for two more seasons and they are mounds better when he's on the court than when he's not. They have no real legitimate rim protection without Capella. Nathan Knight played eight and a half minutes a game. Uh, Okongwu, Onyeko Okongwu played 12 minutes a game. So those guys really were not a factor. Reality, fantasy, whatever. They have high hopes for Okonwu, that he's someone that might get to be a decent basketball player. He's already, okay, so decent basketball, that's not fair to say, but someone that might be, Uh, An impact player in the future, but it's not going to be a thing where he carves into Capella's playing time in his second year in the NBA. So that makes Clint Capella a really easy player to handicap. The other side of this is that the Hawks are a team that went deep into the playoffs. And we've talked about it a bunch of times already. I don't trust these teams that played deep into the postseason. I don't like it. I don't like it, especially when you look at the Hawks as a team and say, OK, well, what what is it that they're going to feel like they need to prove next season? The upshot for a team like Atlanta is that they were the five seed this year, so they were the underdog in every series they played in the postseason. They played the four seed Knicks, the one seed Sixers, the three seed Bucks. so they were on the road. They didn't have home court in any of their playoff series. Would they any of them have gone differently if they did hard to say um Trey Young being kind of a shell of himself at the end of his series against Milwaukee what what if they had an extra home game in there maybe it would have gone seven I don't know would they have lost still it's like again it's very difficult to see the path out of that one but remember Giannis got hurt in that series he hadn't really figured out how to deal with playoff-style defenses yet. I would argue that even though the Hawks went deep into the playoffs, this is still a team that wants to get in the upper half of the bracket, and they weren't that far away from getting into that group. I think the Bucks probably play a similar regular season next year where they don't put all of their chips in. The Nets, they're not going to put all of their chips into the regular season. The 76ers... Same general story. The teams and then the Knicks, I think, overachieved because they put all of their eggs into the regular season. The Hawks, they have a... Like, if they were Nate McMillan-style Hawks the entire season, they might have been up there with that top three. Not in terms of what I actually thought they could do, but in terms of record, because the top three three teams were missing guys for long stretches and kind of played down a little bit. I think the Hawks are an okay team to back next year. There's a lot of clubs, uh, you know, the Bucks being one of them, that went deep into the playoffs that are not gonna be going full bore in the regular season, in in a way that I think Atlanta probably still does give most of their I don't like to curse on the pot. I know I did already once today, but they they're not they'll probably go closer to a hundred percent butt into the regular season as opposed to sort of a half butt effort from some of these other teams. Therefore, a guy like a Clint Capella who did try to play through various nagging injuries, and we know he's always going to miss his 8 to 12 games, almost guaranteed. The fact that he only missed 9 this year was a really big win for him. That left him at 23 by averages, and and this is sort of the exciting part for those who had Clint Capella, not only was he good by averages, but he was good by totals. He was like two or three slots higher by totals, because only missing nine games was actually really good this year. Same general story for John Collins, who played in 63 games, and Trey Young, who played in 63 games. Problem for those other two guys that I just named is that on a per-game basis, they went way under where they were drafted. Capella went way over. He was getting picked in the 60s this year and uh, churned out mid-to-late second-round value. Next year, he'll probably get drafted... Maybe in the 30s? I don't think people believe that this is fully repeatable. I actually do think it's fully repeatable. I think he'll be a value even in the 30s. A bit easier to trust in Roto than head-to-head because of his track record of missing basketball games. But you know me, I'm more of a Roto guy anyway. So, hell yeah. Clint Capella, late third round, early fourth. I'm all about it. John Collins, on the other hand... Uh, while overall, honestly, this season was pretty darn consistent for Collins. There wasn't like a particularly great stretch and a particularly bad one. He was basically a top 50 guy all season long. He'd have a week or two where he'd go top 40 and then a week or two where he'd go top 70 and it would all just level off to where he ultimately ended up, which on the year was number 47 by averages uh, and in the late 30s by totals because, again, only missing nine games was very good this year. Collins, 17.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, half a steal, a block, 56 from the field, 83 at the free throw line. He's going to be drafted pretty close, I think, to where he played this year. I think fantasy enthusiasts and analysts alike are going to look at this season and say, this is basically what you're going to get next year, and I think we're probably all right. Collins is generally relatively durable. Again, it's all grain-of-salt level stuff. It's hard to say that any one thing is going to continue. He got suspended, remember, last year, or he would have only missed, like, five games. Uh, And in his rookie season, he played 74. He missed a few his second season. This year, he missed nine. This was supposed to be the contract year, which unfortunately means that you look towards the following season and you know missed games, I think, are probably uh, on the docket. I wouldn't expect him to miss more than 10 next season, uh, 12 or 13 perhaps at the absolute maximum, unless something goes terribly wrong. So wherever you draft him, assume, Roto, assume averages and totals for him per game and totals are going to be pretty much in lockstep. I think he'll be drafted in the mid-40s. I think he'll probably play in the mid 40s to 50 range. And I think by totals, that's probably where he'll end up as well. So I like Clint Capella. I think he'll actually end up a value next year. I think John Collins is going to be one of your set your clock kind of guys next year with limited upside because the durability isn't perfect. It's decent, but not great. But he'll go on my list of someone that I will uh, approach There aren't that many avoid guys for me on the Hawks, although (laughs) we're not quite there yet. Bogdan Bogdanovich was the third-ranked player on Atlanta this year. By averages, he was number 50, played 30 minutes a game, got 13 shots, second most on the team, by the way, 16.5 points, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists, a steal, three threes over that, actually, 47% from the field, 91 at the free throw line. Pretty good for Bogdan, and even better down the stretch when he was given... Not carte blanche necessarily, but he was pretty much given the reins on this team. Trey missed a few games in there. Uh, DeAndre Hunter was still out. Cam Reddish was still out. And it was just go time. And Bogdan, over that stretch, was actually a first-rounder. 20 points, 4 boards, 4 assists, 4 threes, 1.6 steals, 50% from the field. On a pretty high volume, 15.5 shots per game. Not, Not super high, but... Uh, pretty, pretty reasonably high. I think Bogdan likely gets overdrafted this coming season. He's going to have a pretty good-sized role on the Hawks, but everything changes with Reddish and Hunter back in the mix. Lou Williams not being in the mix, to me, is a smaller impact than having Gallo, Herder, Reddish, Hunter all available and ready to play a whole bunch. I don't see Bogdan getting 16 shots a game, and I don't see Bogdan shooting 50%. That's, that's never been even close. I mean, guys take jumps, that's fine, but Bogdan was a 44 percenter in his career, and then this season, thanks to that red hot run he went on for two months, he was 47% for the year, and I would probably call 47% from the field more or less a high watermark dude took the most three pointers he had at any season of his career and he shot seven percent better from three than almost any other time in his career there was a lot of stuff with bogdanovich season that doesn't feel repeatable namely free throw percent way high three point percent way high that's wild Steals were way high during that run. This is a guy that's averaged one steal a game over about 29 minutes of his career. So increasing minutes by three should not jump him by a half steal a ball game. That should take about 10 minutes to do. Actually more, more like 15, 14-ish. We're going to do proper math on the whole thing. So Bogdan Bogdanovich is a guy that I'm probably not going to end up with on my fantasy teams next year. Not because I don't think he's going to have a decent season. I just, like, people are going to see the run he went on. People are going to see that top 50 overall and kind of forget that the Hawks have a bunch of guys that weren't getting looks down the stretch that will get something. Even if it's not a ton, it's something. Next man on the list... Trey Young, who had, by all accounts, one of the most disappointing fantasy seasons of anybody in the NBA, probably one-upped maybe only by Devin Booker because these were first-round picks who more or less tanked your team if you were in a nine-category league. If you were in eight-category league, you could get away with it a little bit. Still a rough season for Trey. Uh, he was a late second-rounder, an eight-cat, so you could you could hang on Uh, mid-second rounder by totals in 8-cat, but, uh, I mean, 8-category leagues, he was probably also getting drafted towards the beginning of the first round instead of the middle or end of it. It all gets caught up in the wash. Point is, not a good season for Trey Young. And we really should have seen it coming. We really should have seen it coming. Because they brought in help. Last season, Trey got 21 shots per game. Average... 30 points, took nine and a half free throws this year, 17.7 shots were down. Minutes were down. Everything else was more or less in line shot. His career average from three it was better than his career average at the free throw line. Assists were about the same as last year. Steals were down from last season, which by the way, last season steals were actually, were kind of on the high side for him. But this is just the impact of having other guys on a team that can do stuff. He didn't have to do every single thing himself. And those guys are not going away next year. We should have seen it coming. I bought in. I did. I'm I'm right there on the hook. Last season, Trey Young was number 19 while getting every ounce of usage he could get so why on earth were, were any of us in nine category leagues taking him in the first round? There was no universe where he got better from where he was last year with his usage being shaved. Two seasons back, his rookie year, Trey Young was number 125. Down the stretch, he was in the 40s. That is probably what we should have been looking at for this season. And guess what? He was worse. Trey was number fifty-eight by averages this year. Twenty-five and nine, under a steal, two point two three pointers, relatively low actually at that marker, but good free throw shooting, scoring, assists, and free throws. That was—I mean—that was it. He was very good at those three things, and he was better than league average in three pointers. But he was actually sub league average in the other statistical categories: rebounding, steals, blocks, field goal percent, turnovers. All of them. Not good. And he's going to get way overdrafted again next year because ADPs on big box sites tend to be clouded by, in my estimation, points and eight category leagues if things all get kind of rolled together into an amalgam ranking system. Guys that have big turnovers and uh, one or both percentages that are a little bit wonky, their ranks are usually the ones that get screwed up. And with Young... The big turnover number means that eight-category leaguers are going to pull his ADP up towards the front of the draft, as they should, because, again, you remove turnovers, he jumps from uh, a fifth-rounder to a second-rounder. That's a pretty big deal in nine-category to eight-category flip. Uh, So eight-category, fine. You take him in the first round, you might have a miss there by a round. In nine-category, if you take him where they're taking him in eight, you're going to get crushed. So, nope. Eight category, points league, stuff like that, absolutely. Go to town, Entree. Field goal percent punt team, f- great. Go to town. But it's standard nine-cat Roto, Mm-mm. Let someone else deal with that nonsense. I'm going to jump over DeAndre Hunter just for a second because he's the guy that I actually want to spend a few minutes on uh, as, in my estimation, the guy who probably deserves the largest amount of our attention And talk about the fringe players on this team. Kevin Herter, Danilo Gallinari, Cam Reddish, those are the fringe guys. And uh, Herter, thank you playing 69 games this year, that actually brought him inside the top 100. On a per-game basis, Kevin was number 115. I'll tell you this, he's another guy who won't get to do as much with Reddish and Hunter healthy. Much like with Bogdan, he'll get to do a little bit more with uh, Lou Williams probably gone. I don't know. Maybe Lou comes back. Who knows? But with Herter, this was probably about as good as it gets because he survived the season durability check when no one else could. So he had a lot of games where he was one or two slots up in the pecking order and will get pushed down One, two slots again as guys come back. And that's not to say that every night he'll be the fourth or fifth option. There will be games where he gets hot and he's the number two option. But we work on averages over an entire season. And if on average there are one Trey Young, one Bogdan, one John Collins, one Clint Capella, one DeAndre Hunter, one Cam Reddish, one Danilo Gallinari and you're one out of those, whatever I said, seven or eight players, your slice of the pie is just going to be a little smaller than if you're one out of six. The slice, the slice size diminishes less because the players we took out of the pie were not the biggest usage guys anyway. But when Reddish was healthy, he took 10 shots a game. When Hunter was healthy, he took 11 put 21 shots back into the mix and they, they won't get their full 21 next season either with everybody healthy. and Herter getting 10 and a half, if that even drops to nine and a half, he falls from 115 probably to like 130. That's a big deal for him. He needed that little three pointer boost, the extra points, the extra assists of touching the basketball more. They're I mean, not helping you with free throws or field goal percent. He's not helping you with much besides steals and threes anyway. Gallo, no. A healthy team means he'll do even less than he did this year. Reddish, his fantasy game just isn't there yet, and maybe he turns a corner, but again, not enough usage really to find out. The one guy in that mix that this year was doing enough even with the team largely healthy around him was DeAndre Hunter. Hunter went down, what was it, February? No, January. He went down in January, I think. Hunter played 18 games before getting injured, and in those 18 games, he was basically a top 50 fantasy player on the shoulders of an heavily unsustainable 51% from the field, including almost two three-pointers per game. So let's make sure that we put that in our handicap. Hunter made a massive leap season over season that none of us could have seen coming. However, he shot 45% from two-point range his rookie year and 58% from two this season. 76% free throw his rookie year, 86% at the foul line his sophomore year. I'm going to go ahead and just assume the free throw thing is real. Maybe he just got really good at the free throw line. 41% from the field his rookie season to 48% this year. The two-point field goal jump is the thing that feels a bit off the mark. Also of note, as much as we love DeAndre Hunter's leap season over season, he didn't do it on the defensive side. Averages 1.3 combined steals and blocks in about 30 minutes per ballgame this year. Doesn't rebound a ton, enough to get by as a wing player. Doesn't pass much. And again, only 1.3 three-pointers when the season was all said and done. Beginning of this year, again, uh, pre-injury, he was at uh, 51% from the field, 17.5 and five and a half boards, 2.2 assists. Let's assume, for argument's sake, that we wipe out the Hunter playing through injury games at the end of the season, and the guy at the beginning of the year is the one that comes back next year. 12 shots a game. 17 points, 5.5 boards, 1.7 threes, 2 assists, 1.4 combined extensive stats, and really a helpful free throw mark. Big jump there that we didn't really see coming. He was number 56 over that stretch. Uh, well, I guess it depends on what, what date range you put into this thing. He was basically a top 50 range guy when he was healthy at the beginning of the year. That's probably your high watermark for him. What I don't know about DeAndre Hunter, and we'll have to reassess come ADP time, is where the hell is he going to get drafted? Because he got off to this wonderful start and then really sputtered, couldn't get back from injury, came back too soon, they had to do another operation, did finally get back and sort of wiggled his way through some playoff games, but really very much was not himself. Who is he really? Can he really shoot almost 60% from two? I don't think so. I would expect him to move back towards 47% from the field, not 51. Let's keep the free throw number the same. Let's assume the 1.4 combined def- defensive stats he can do again. But if you if you move the free throw percent off of that marker, and if he really does get his dozen shots back that he was taking before half the team got hurt this year, and it's possible because he's he's probably their best option at the three, Capella, Collins, Hunter, Trey and then Bogdan would would likely be your starting five, or do you move one of those guys off the bench and and let him be a little bit more of a gunner? Bogdan, by the way, was only taking nine shots a game during that early part of the year before he got hurt. There's a lot of goofiness among who actually gets to take shots for this team when everybody is in the mix. I think DeAndre Hunter probably profiles more as like a top 80 to top 100 range guy, and him overshooting from the field and getting more usage this last season created this weird this this sort of inflated pocket for him but again i have no idea where he gets drafted if he's getting drafted at 50 to 60 range no way i'm not touching that at all i don't think he gets close to where he did this year pre injury If he's falling outside the top 100, that would be really surprising to me. I don't think that's happening. I think he probably gets drafted in the 70s or 80s, and I'd probably still pass on him there. I don't think he's going above that mark unless he plays the full, like, 78 out of their 82 games. And on a per-game basis, 65 to 75 is probably your best-case scenario, and a more likely case scenario is probably more like top 85 to top 95 range. Mostly because, and I feel like you guys are going to hear me say this and, and think that I'm picking on DeAndre Hunter or his fantasy game. It's not like that. It's not like that. I'm I'm really impressed with some of the leaps he took. Just from an analysis standpoint, the field goal percent doesn't feel sustainable. With that giant leap from two-point land. He doesn't have the steals, the blocks, the threes, the assists, the rebounds. He doesn't have the things that you can adjust quickly to make up for other deficits. And on top of everything else, Uh, he did have another surgery, I believe at the end of the season, which I don't know that we have a timeline on that yet. So DeAndre Hunter probably going to get overdrafted and maybe all of this becomes a moot point if Woj comes out and uh, tweets in September that Hunter won't be ready for training camp or the start of the season. If that's the case, meh, who cares? We weren't going to draft him anyway, but if he's ready, I still think he probably gets overdrafted and you guys should leave him alone. So to recap, before we put a bow on this Thursday episode, Gallo, no. Bogdan, slightly overdrafted. Capella, hell yeah. He'll be underdrafted despite the giant season. Hunter, probably overdrafted. Trey, definitely overdrafted. Collins, possibly underdrafted, but most likely I think he gets drafted right on the money. And everybody else, including Kevin Herter, no. That's your Hawks. We will do the Charlotte Hornets, tomorrow's edition, the Friday weekend show. Charlotte Hornets coming up to finish out the week here on Fantasy NBA Today. Let's just go ahead and put a bow on this one because I actually went over 30 minutes. Can you believe that? I got all that out of the Atlanta Hawks. Neato. I'm Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Have a great Thursday, everybody. We are basketball-less for a little bit here. Whatever will we do? I know. Tell me you want an account at mybookie.ag and I'll get you signed up and make your first deposit for you. Hit me on Twitter. I'll make it happen. Enjoy your night. Later. This has been a HoopBall presentation.